here. Sounds insane. How how does that not like a mass confusion or just anarchy? It is. (laughs) And that's part. This is the RC Roundtable, a casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. Guten Tag und welcome in die RC Roundtable. Ich bin ein Fitzwalker mit Terry Dunn <laughs> und Lee Ray. Yeah, yeah. That's all I know. <laughs> Wait, there's no Lee. Ah, he missed my great German impression. Ah, well, I guess that's his loss. Did you say great? Oh, okay, maybe not so great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So is that is that what you picked up over there? Yes, I picked up that and uh, uh, this little thing I also learned. Nachtustachian Marioplatz. Bitte lift ausgotten. Translated means? Uh, next train station is Mario Plotz. Please exit the left of the train. <laughs> so that's one you used quite a bit? That's one I heard about 8 million times. Uh, okay. <laughs> we rode a lot of trains, so I, especially in Germany, so I heard uh, lots of those little things, uh, sometimes in English, usually in German. Okay. Uh, but I'm back, and uh, rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Well, that's good news. Hope you guys didn't miss me too much. Um, we did miss you. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did get a chance to listen to one of the recordings while I was over there. I was uh, on a flight from one country to another, and uh, it was kind of surreal listening to you guys talk with uh, your guest. I forgot his name. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you guys poking fun at me. <laughs> when we had Ben Warren on? Yes, yes. Listen to Ben's podcast. Oh, we made fun of you? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you, you didn't mention me for something. I forgot what it was. Huh. But it was interesting to listen to Ben talking about the, he uses the same type of connector as I do. And so I was like, yeah, somebody else uses the same connector. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure there's still a lot of power pull guys out there, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, that was a really interesting uh, talk you guys had. Though I kind of disagree with him on something, but it was very minor. But uh, it was pretty neat to listen to that while thousands of miles away. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I had a similar experience when I was in Scotland, so I can I can relate. Yeah, a little bit of home, a little familiar voices. Yeah, it was really nice. And I guess along those same lines, we're missing Lee. He is not out of the country, but he's pretty close. He's almost to Canada, right? He's in yeah. Oshkosh at the world's biggest air show right now. Yeah, and he's throwing a lot of pictures at us. Yeah, well, we warned him that he better... <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to see there. He's realizing, oh my God, it's just, it's, uh, it's like, like, what do you say, like, uh, like drinking from a fire hose. It's just so yeah. much stuff. Yeah, he seems to be having a good time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sounds like he's already made a few friends and whatnot. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, I'm sure he'll give us a big data dump when he comes back. Well, good. All right. Well, enough of that chit chat. Let's uh, get to shorter road. I haven't done this for three weeks, so... <laughs> You're rusty. <laughs> I'm rusty <laughs> and itching at the same time. So let's uh, hammer this rusty nail down and, and uh, get started. I see uh, the first thing is, yet again, I keep, I, this is not like a broken record, but Freewing has come out with yet another EDF jet. 
And this time, it's something really nice. I guess people have been clamoring for this for years. In fact, they've been actually, I just saw today, they've been working on it for years, is their 80mm uh, A4 Skyhawk. And, it uh, looks pretty good. It's it, surprisingly big. Yeah, you know, I noticed the same thing. I looked at it, it's like, man, it's almost as it's as big as their F-14, which is a twin 80mm. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting it to be that large. I don't know what the wingspan is, but on a Delta wing like the A-4, the wingspan doesn't have to be that big to create a sizable airplane. No, no. Usually it's actually kind of a small wingspan for the plane because it's not a very big plane. Uh, but I have the numbers here. I looked it up. The wingspan is 37 inches, 940 millimeters, and it's a 56-inch length or 1.4 meter length. Uh, so yeah, it's a good size. You know, it doesn't the wingspan doesn't sound that big, but for a jet, it's a pretty decent size. And when is it supposed to be released? Uh, I did not see that. It's not even up for pre-order yet, so it's probably going to be a little while. Okay, so we don't know the cost, and we don't know the release date. Yeah, those are mysterious numbers at the moment. But there were uh, some prototype photos leaked. Uh, if they were a prototype, this was near production prototype, because the photos I saw were pretty much, it looked like a production model. Okay, so maybe it's production samples that are going yeah, on. I think it was production yeah. samples, because it's been flown. Some of the guys, they're typical uh, pilots that's posted on the forums, says he's flown a few times. Really nice, got the ordnance, and it has a... Uh, a removable uh, avionics hump, which is a neat idea. Yes, yes. So I guess later versions of the A4, they you know, expanded the the area behind the canopy to make room for new widgets. Yeah. And it kind of made a characteristic camel hump. You can go with or without it. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't look up to see who the markings were, but I think we've talked about this before. Uh, the the well-known Senator John McCain flew uh, A4 in Vietnam. And uh, I think he crashed one and then was later shot down in one or something like that. Wow. Yeah, you look it up, there's an incident on the carrier. Either he crashed or I think it's when the carrier that had uh, munitions go off and one of it hit his plane or something. I, I think I'm a little rusty on the details. but uh, Interesting. It, so. And I always thought the A4, the full-scale A4, had a very interesting development story. And again, I don't know details and I'll... It would probably take too long to go into here, but it was designed by the same guy at Douglas who designed a lot of their World War II airplanes. And I guess this was the early 50s, and at that time, jets were coming on the scene, and they were getting incredibly heavy and complex. And he took a 180 from that and decided to make the A-4 as simple and lightweight as he could. So the team went through and took all the standard off-the-shelf components you would put on an airplane and tried to lighten them. And, and get rid of them if they could. So even things like generators, you know, the little air-driven generator that pops out if you have a flame out, I think they ended up shaving like 30 pounds off of that. Wow. I didn't so, think they weighed that much. <laughs> it, yeah, and I guess the, oh. all the little weight savings here and there really yeah. resulted in a overall lightweight airplane. Yeah. Okay. Was this used the, as a, in a Top Gun school? As a Yeah, that was the adversary. Right? Yeah. Forever. I mean... I don't know how many variants there are of the A4, but if you decide to do a model of one of these, there's no shortage of oh, paint yeah. schemes. And, and I think the Israelis, didn't the Israelis fly these things as well, I think? Is oh, sure. Lots yeah. of lots of countries did. So, yeah, it's a, I think when the model finally comes out, we'll see a lot of variety in the paint schemes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I guess Motion, Motion RC and Freewing are building a pretty good reputation of 
nice flying scale EDFs. So let's see if they can hold true with this one. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, there was some uh, a short video of it flying around, and it was pretty speedy. It looked pretty nice. So you sound interested. Is there going to be one in your hangar? Uh, I don't know. It's really nice. I wouldn't mind it at all. Uh, I just, <laughs> my hangar is pretty much full, so I... I your hangar has been pretty much full since I've known you. <laughs> I'm going to have to get rid of some stuff. And I still got to rebuild my F-14. That's still in pieces. Oh. So I got some. It's really nice. Probably eventually, but I, probably not in the near future that I can conceive of. But something drastically changes. Or uh, free or uh, motion sends me one. Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you. <laughs> I'm guessing it won't, but hey, you never know. You know, one can always hope. Yeah. So I guess somebody at Horizon Hobby was paying attention when we were poking fun that all of the new airplanes are 1.2 meter. So they have just released a Stearman under their E-Flight label that is. Not 1.2. It's not 1.3. It's not even 1.0. It's 1.1. <laughs> just to throw, just to needle you, huh? Uh, yeah, I think just so we wouldn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> Actually, it's 1.13. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is odd though. They went 1.1 instead of 1.2. Well, but they get two wings out of it. So oh, that's true. Yeah. So there's got to be a lot of wing area there. Maybe 1.2 would have been just a little bit too big for the power setup they wanted. Maybe that's it. But uh, it looks good. They, it's definitely a Stearman. Yeah, it was a surprise. I, when you give, when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, oh Stearman, really? And uh, yeah, indeed, they have a really nice, pretty good size, uh, with uh, some notable scale details on it. Uh, Fifteen size motor. Three cell up to three thousand milliamp, from what I see. Yeah, and it looks like it's not really a floater. They they put some power behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah they recently released a UMX uh, Stearman PT seventeen, and now they've got the mid one. Yeah. D does that hint that there's going to be a big one too? Could be. Mm, be nice. Yeah. They come a nice big big one. Yeah, they've been releasing some big foamies, so that would be interesting to see. Yeah, if they released one about the size of their T-28, that'd probably be really popular. I would guess so. So I think they've done a good job with this one. Glancing at the photos, the, the scale details look good. Yeah. The prop hub catches my attention is maybe a little wonky, but yeah. other than that, it's, um, it looks pretty good. Did you see it has working oleo struts? Oh, really? Yeah, it does. That's yeah. good. Yeah, there's a, that and... Also, take a look is how it disassembles. It's got a, kind of a clever mechanism where you pull these pins out of the top wing and uh, it separates the wing from the struts. Okay, and there's no ailerons on the top per scale. There's no so you don't on have the top. to worry about disconnecting wires. Yeah. So you pull out of the leading edge, you pull these pins out. They're, they're like the, the length of the core of the wing, pretty much. And so in the video they showed you, they pull these four pins out and the pop wing just pops off. And then uh, the struts sort of, I guess, not sure how they held them to the bottom wing. You sort of just peeled them, uh, sort of peeled them over, kind of folded them over and pulled them out somehow. I think maybe they're keyed or something. Uh, so how long till you lose the pins? 
<laughs> well, they're pretty long, so I mean, at least I don't, they didn't look that hard to lose. But probably you want to stick a magnet somewhere. They can just stick the pins to the magnet somewhere in the cockpit or something. So you don't lose That's it. a good idea. Yeah. yeah. But it looked like it has some pretty clever design uh, cues. Design. All right, and since Lee's not around, I have to ask, is it safe? It is. Or, it's safe. Okay. It's or got AS3X? Both. It's AS3X okay. and with safe. So it's got, uh, oh, crap, Mo, you flip the switch, and it, it limits the pitch angles, and it comes out of a, a dive and that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, on the more recent ones, you can turn that off. Uh, yeah, in the video they showed you using a switch to, as a bailout mode, so I guess it has some adjustments to it. I think you can adjust the bank angle with a switch. Uh, setting, okay. So. Yeah, as long as well, you can turn it off, that's good. Yeah. But for this, right. this play, you probably see a lot of guys, uh, you know, people seem to like that safe, especially, surprisingly, a lot of the older flyers. And this plane is something that probably get the attraction of a lot of older flyers, so it's probably a good good mix. Just my opinion, of course. Yeah, I agree. Um, the crowd that I know tends to be kind of split down the middle on who likes safe and who doesn't. So, yeah, if again, I'm indifferent. If you can turn it off, um, there are times that I like it and times that I definitely don't. So having it with the ability to turn on and off is optimal, I think. Mm. And we're looking at 200 bucks, and it looks like they'll be around in September. So, All right, just in time for Christmas. <laughs> September. Yeah. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas present. You buy it for Christmas, stick it under a tree, or Early hide September. Hide it under, hide it from the wife long enough to stick it under a tree, or whatever. Well, there you go. Well, probably for me living up here now in Buffalo, if I don't get it by September, I'll be snowed in until <laughs> late in the spring. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So Christmas is probably about right. Put some skis on it. <laughs> Earlier in the day, we uh, had a special interview for a guest who is working on a very special project. Join us as we have a nice discussion with a really interesting scratch builder. All right, joining us today is uh, we got a special guest, uh, Mr. Joshua Orchard. He's joining us from Maryland, all the way up on the East Coast, or hopefully it's a lot cooler than it is here in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joshua, thanks for joining us. Hey, not a problem. It's my pleasure to be on with you guys today. Yeah, great, great. We're really glad to have you. Joshua's working on a scale model of the very distinctive Bugatti 100P, which, if I recall, was initially designed as a, uh, a, a racing for when, uh, the back in the 30s when they used to do, uh, I guess, it was, a, was it a trophy, the collar trophy? <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I believe it was uh, originally for the Thompson Trophy. Um, uh, I can't remember that. I've gone th over the history so many times you'd think I'd, I'd remember it all, but there, there's so much history around the airplane that I can't keep it all straight. <laughs> but, but it's a fantastic project. Can you give us a little bit of the history and how you decided to come up with this and your initial uh, design thoughts on building one of these. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it's it's an airplane that's been on my my wish list for quite some time. Um, years ago, I found uh, some plans 
forget where on the internet for a remote control model, but it didn't have the right lines. Uh, it didn't even look like it had a scale airfoil. But yeah, it it kind of fit the bill. And a couple years ago, 2015, I had I had planned to do uh, one build over the course of the entire event at Flight Fest. And uh, it was one of the options. Um, so many people at, at Flight Fest 2014 were impressed with my airplanes, and they kept asking me over and over, how do you build this plane? How do you do that? And I was like, well, you know, you take foam, and then you take the paper off the foam board, and then you can have more fun with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just like that. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing what happens and how much weight you lose when you take the paper off. Uh, so yeah, I decided that rather than bring a bunch of airplanes the following year, since they had these large build tents with glue guns and tables and whatnot, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to pack up my whole shop and I'm going to build an airplane. Hey, that's what Lee does. <laughs> it's fun. I, I would never do that again, but it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I ended up. I ended up building a 76-inch wingspan uh, Sikorsky S39 amphibious airplane at Flight Fest in 2015. Wow. But the Bugatti was one of the build options. I had the community vote on which airplane they wanted me to build. So, so that the Sikorsky came together over four days. Yeah. And so how much prep work did you put forth to make that happen? Oh, about a year. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, pre I pretty much started planning it as soon as I got home from Flight Fest in, in 2014. Um, okay. But I, I had built that airplane at least two dozen times in my head over the course of that year. Uh, I, I, I said, okay, I'm not going to pre-assemble anything. I'm not going to pre-paint anything. And, uh, I got there, and, and from, from the beginning of flight fest on the thursday to midday on sundays it was, i put in about 50 hours and went from nothing to a flying model it wasn't finished but it was flying well that's an interesting stance on on how you do this because knowing what little i know about the sikorsky i think it would be a challenging project with any sort of uh, timeline but the fact that you decided to do the actual building in that short uh, time frame, it's it's interesting that you would challenge yourself in that way. Well, you know, it, it, part of the idea behind it was to show people that it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to build scale models, well, at least not as much as they think it, it does. Because when you're dealing with blocks of foam and a hot wire, the models really do come together quite quickly. Um, the, the, the time invested in a model really comes from how complex the model is, how much detail you want to put into the model. And for me, uh, I, I just wanted to show people that, yeah, you can have something that look, doesn't look like a box fuselage with, you know, folded over wings. And you can have a real airfoil, a Clark Y, and it, you can have a large airplane that has carbon fiber, and, you know, eventually this is going to have fiberglass on it. And, you know, being able to explain to people that these these construction techniques aren't that difficult uh, and they're quite approachable. So that that was the whole purpose behind behind the, that type of build and being able to accomplish it was was challenging, to say the least. There were there were quite a few of my buddies there that uh, uh, as Bjorn, a fellow from Norway, he he 
fed me a couple of times. <laughs> Intravenously? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, nearly. <laughs> nearly. <laughs> so so to to clarify, are you using foam sheets or you're using a combination of foam blocks and foam board from like a craft store? Pretty much whatever I can get my hands on. Um, mostly I build with the uh, pink insulation foam, foam from the Home Depot. I've got one like a mile away from my house. So it's really easy to transport the boards. But um, for for strategic and specific areas where I need like a, a more compound curve, um, I, I will use uh, foam board from the dollar store. Um, in fact, one of the airplanes from 2014 Flight Fest that I brought there that oohed and odd everybody for some reason was a, a scale, a 1.6 scale version of an SE5A that I built from scratch. And it had, you know, the... the the rib caps on it and it had rib stitching and the fuselage fabric stitching and uh, full body uh, pilot and scale guns and the scratch built, you know, the, the, the mounting for the guns and the, the target side and uh, had 3d printed radiator grills. And <laughs> wow. So, so you had stitching on the foam. Yeah. Yeah. So, you go to the you go to the craft store and uh, no kidding they make something called lingerie pins. <laughs> oh yeah, you have my attention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hear the music. <laughs> no, no, they're they're just like little little sewing pins, but they're like about a centimeter long. Um, and uh, by by using those, I could I could just push them into position, uh, not all the way, but I would weave some thread through them to simulate the stitching pattern because I, I couldn't get eyelets that small to, to do a, uh, the, the true fabric pattern. But, you know, you could simulate sort of what it would look like. So after you weave the, the, the thread through, you apply a little bit of um, tight bond, and then you just finish pushing those lingerie pins directly into the foam. And it just it looks it looks like you've got little eyelets and some some thread, and it looks like a, a panel stitching. Wow, that's amazing. and it's actually it's super lightweight because these pins are really really tiny. You can yeah you can get like a pack of two hundred and fifty of them. I think I placed around three hundred of those things individually with tweezers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's starting to sound about like work. Well, it, it, you know it's it's repetitive motion. I always tell people little details like that. It's just one repetitive motion. And you do it a bunch of times, and you get into a rhythm, and the next thing you know, it's done. Um, but I, I, I find it therapeutic. Some people call me crazy. <laughs> you, your, your choice. I, yeah. I really don't care. <laughs> to each his own. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Now the, the Bugatti is a whole different beast than SE5A. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, SE5A yeah. is Hershey bar wings and box fuselage, but the Bugatti is just one curve from nose to tail. Yeah, it's, it's every square. Branch of it is a compound curve. <laughs> um, so yeah, how, do tackle, I, how do you tackle uh, something like that? So, so overall, I just uh, I approached it one component at a time, and sort of made it up as I went. Um, I started with the wings and the fuselage, just because they're they're pretty straightforward pieces to cut out from the, the three views. So I'm using the Le Mans. Um, three views that are available on the internet. And um, 
you know, you just trace the patterns onto the foam and you cut it out with a hot wire and you rough shape it to where you want. And, you know, then you start curving the fuselage. Well, you get every single reference picture you can possibly find and say, well, is that, is that curvier or is that flatter? And, you know, as you go, you, you step, you have to step away from what you're looking at and then come back to it. And there, I point this out on one of my YouTube videos when I'm sanding the wings that I did, I did a time lapse video and, and it was funny because I would sand these wings. I'm like, yeah, that looks good. And then I go and sand the other wing and then I come <laughs> back and look at the other one. I'm like, how in the world did I miss that? That looks horrible. So, you know, you just constantly have to shift your eyes because you, you get so into what you're looking at that you have to take a step back and, and realize that, you know, what you think is perfect when you come back an hour later is not going to be anything what you thought you left it at, even though you didn't even touch the model. Did you ever scrap any parts? Uh, I scrapped a lot of 3D print fails. Okay. <laughs> um, so I've got a couple of pieces on, on the airplane that are 3D printed. Um, I've got uh, the exhaust, the, the wing root uh, vents, as well as the leading edge vents on the, uh, the tail planes. Those are all 3D printed. Oh, and the, the um, instrument panel in the cockpit. Those are all 3D printed. You, you have um, your own 3D printer? I do. I do. Uh, just got it this year. Got it back in March. Uh, and that's a whole separate hobby that we won't talk about. That's a total time suck. <laughs> now, and this is a sizable airplane too. What's the wingspan? Fifty something? Uh, yes, fifty-two inches. Uh, makes it one-six scale. Um, it's got uh, two Hobby King uh, prop drive EF one. So they're the NMPRA official certified whatever motors. Thirteen hundred kV. Um, and those are custom built into a Contra motor setup. So I've got one prop directly in front of the other in direct drive configuration. Uh, front prop is an 8x7.5, which was cut down from a 9x7.5. And the rear prop is an 8x8R. Do you have any data that lets you know if they're, if the motors are loaded fairly equally? Yeah, so I've done prop uh, watt testing, and I've done I do have telemetry on the motors to let me know what my RPM is, and they are within 100 RPM of each other. Oh wow, that's pretty. Originally, good. Uh, the front prop was an eight by eight, but I was off any, anywhere in the power band from somewhere to three to five hundred. As soon as I, as soon as I dropped that pitch a little bit, uh, they they came nearly perfect and i was trying to write a lua script for my tyrannus radio but um the, the 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 mechanical way to do it was the more simple way to do it well yeah okay. i think generally the rule of thumb is on the on a country rotating prop setup like that is the rear prop needs more pitch than the front prop because yeah the, the rear one's flying in accelerated air Right, right. Accelerated air. So, you know, once it gets to over to the second prop, you know, it's 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 doing more work for nothing. Right. Now, now can you tell it's, us more about the your the mechanical setup of the contra rotating prop? Is that something you design or is it you buy off the shelf? Well, you can buy it off the shelf, but 
um, you have very limited selection, and uh, they're quite frankly very expensive for what you're buying. Uh, HiMax has uh, several different options, but uh, given that this was designed to be a pylon racer, uh, <laughs> they didn't exactly have the power choices that I was looking for. Uh, so uh, I there's a there's a, a really great thread on on RC groups that I had read over and over and over and over, and I thought, you know what, this is probably the one challenge on this airplane that. Uh, for me, it's it's a technique I've I've never done before, as the engineering side. So I decided to just go go ahead and have a go at engineering. Um, so I did some CAD drawings, and um, I've done a, a full article on the on on flight test. Um, so they have an article section of their website, and I did I did a whole uh, whole article about this, and it's. It's a lot easier to follow if you have pictures because yeah. I, yeah. I cover how I built it. Yeah, um, pictures would definitely help. And, and what we'll do is we'll post links to the your build uh, pictures and uh, other information uh, when we go live on the show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was really challenging to, to figure out how it all fit together, but you know, having the right guys uh, do the machine work. Uh, to the specifications that I gave them, you know, that, that was the hard part. I, I, I was just putting together Legos. Right. Yeah. Machining is one thing. Machining rotating parts that have to balance and work together. That's a whole other beast. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who was, who was drilling and tapping the bell, he said he and his friend spent an hour measuring and remeasuring to make sure that the bell was perfectly dead center. Because uh, these, these motors are spinning around 13,500 RPM on four cell. Wow. So. I, I hope they got a really good steak dinner out of it. <laughs> well, they're in Canada, so, you know, they, they they have their Canadian ways and I have my ways. Right. A moose dinner. <laughs> 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 so no, talk, my, talk about how ahead. you shaped the fuselage. So the fuselage is... Uh, <laughs> a lot of elbow grease. Um, it, it's most, if you want to put a word on it, I sculpted it. Uh, so you have the, the top view and the side view cut out on a block of foam. And, uh, I have a, uh, metal rasping file and I just started carving and made a holy mess in my garage. And <laughs> it was also, it wasn't that hot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, I took uh, about two evenings to, to really get the rough shape that I wanted with the, with the rasping file. And then I went to uh, 100 grit sandpaper and started smoothing out and, and really looking at it. And then uh, I went to 220 grit sandpaper to really smooth out and, and figure out, uh, you know, where where's the bump? where Where's the other bad spots? And then from there... I figured out where the I went too far by a little bit, and I started filling in with spackle. And then after that, <laughs> I I I had used uh, a, several layers of the two-inch pink insulation foam, so I I had purposefully set it up so that I could uh, take the vertical datum line. Of, of the fuselage and part it in half. And then I hollowed everything out as much as I could or dared. 
And then I glued it back together, and then I glassed it so that I wouldn't have to worry about anything dinging or falling apart. Um, and then I then I started cutting into it for you know the wings and the rear empennage, and then later the the hatch. And that was kind of scary, you know, taking all of that work and <laughs> let's stick a knife in it and see what happens. <laughs> so for that shaping, I can just imagine you would go crazy trying to make it symmetrical if you're doing yeah. that all by hand. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's nuts because I would I would use um, a combination of uh, fluorescent, incandescent, and sunlight to look at the different angles and try to make sure everything was symmetrical because, you know, different lights cast different kinds of shadows as you look at things. So you don't really notice them until, you know, you're, you're trying to make something symmetrical or, or preci- precision doing, you're making something like this that you, any kind of flaw someone's going to see, it's going to be like so obvious, like, Oh, you really messed up there, Joshua. <laughs> Our buddy Keith um, Sparks, he makes, Fuselage is similar to that. He uses a, a cross-sectional method, but mm-hmm. he'll divide that side view and the top view, I guess, into, I don't know, 10 different pieces. So yeah. the, from front to tail, it'll be these different discs, which are the rough shape, and then he kind of smooths those out. Which, yeah, I, I've seen that method used before, and, um, and, and obviously I've, I've seen Keith do that, uh, and, and he, it works great for him. Um, I. I've I've used it on a couple of my models, and I do like the results. But I found that for me, I get about the same results as doing it by eye. So I don't know if I just I'm good at doing it this way, but it works for me. Yeah, I did I, think, the, I did the same method on my Sikorsky at Flight Fest too. So okay, yeah, I think yeah. if you've got the eye and the skill to be able to do it without the discs, it's probably a faster method. I, I mean, I would think so. Um, I, I think I would probably be even more nitpicky about it if I did have the reference discs. Right. But uh, I, I have enough problems with managing my OCD as it is. <laughs> I don't need help. Right. <laughs> now, th- this is not a static model. No, it is fly. not. No. So, tell us about that. So uh, – there's because of the Bugatti 100P project online. There's lots of reference material about the aerodynamics of this airplane. Uh, they went to the EAA Museum in Oshkosh and did full measurement of the airfoils. Uh, they did computer modeling and computational fluid dynamics analysis of the airplane. Uh, I even read a really great paper that came out of it about. Um, studying the tail design and the effect of the intake uh, on, on the leading edge. And basic conclusion from that paper was that it's essentially acting like a flat plate. There's really no effect from the airfoil integrated into it. Okay. So mm-hmm. having all of this in mind, you know, you, you, you've, you've also got the forward swept wing. And it's like, well, do, do you really want to go there? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the forward swept wing was probably the easiest part to integrate, but what it means is horrible geometry. And, and by that, I mean in the landing gear. Being able to put the landing gear in the scale location was uh, impossible. Um, because of how thin the wing is, uh, if you're using the, the scale airfoil at that location, it's just so thin. We don't have robust enough 
retract mechanisms that are that thin. <laughs> um, and uh, unless you make them out of titanium and <laughs> I don't have any spare titanium laying around my shop. Um, so I ended up slightly moving the location for, for the, the retracts. Um, but the wheel wells are in the scale location. Um, but because of moving that, you also have this, <laughs> this geometrical problem of you're, you're trying to, you're, you're trying to re retract the gear inward toward the fuselage, but also forward at the same time. And so it causes, when the wheels retract, they, they cause this weird twist as it goes into the, the fillet. So if you try to incorporate any forward rake in the landing gear, the, the problem became even more difficult. And the reason I wanted forward rake was because the way, the location that I calculated the center of gravity was, uh, about two and a half centimeters behind the axle line for the landing gear. <laughs> so, so it's like, okay, well, every time I touch a bump, or or land, this thing's gonna nose over. <laughs> so um, that and, and ends up that the center of gravity after I flew it the first time had to move forward about another centimeter. So the center of gravity is about uh, 1.5 centimeters behind the axle line landing gear. So but you have flown it off of grass. I have flown it off of grass. <laughs> you have to uh, pull all the back elevator. Push the throttle, have the balls to throw the elevator or the throttle all the way forward and pray and just pray <laughs> <laughs> and hold that elevator until it comes off the ground. Have you flown it off a paved runway as well? I haven't. I haven't okay. had a chance to. I've only flown it twice now. Okay. Um, I flew it once for the maiden, so that was the one time I flew it before I had finished all the paint, all the panel lines, all the details, uh, all that other fun stuff. And then I flew it again at Flight Fest. Uh, well, so how does it fly? Man, she flies great. I, I mean, really. The, You're biased. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. She she really is, when she's up on speed, she is really great to fly. Mm -hmm. uh, tracks like an arrow, just completely on rails. Um, the only nasty habit is the forward swept wings. So because you have forward swept wings, when you have a stall, the whole wing stalls. It's it's not just, you know, the tip dips a little bit. It's it it, it can get pretty violent. Mm -hmm. But uh, other than that, you know, uh, once I got the center of gravity worked out, second flight was phenomenally easier to fly uh, at slower speeds. Uh, so the first flight was a little bit tail heavy, and. Um, so it was porpoising a little bit on my landing, so I ended up having to time the porpoising to where I was going to hit the earth. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the secret of flying is aiming for the ground and missing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what goes up must come down. Uh, you know, every time you send up a, a scratch build, you're just hoping for the best and. And every time I've built one that I've done all the aerodynamic calculations on, they've, they've flown pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there, there's always some sort of tweak that you're like, oh, man, I totally oh, sure. built that crooked. Well, let's put a little trim in. It's fine. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> so, we, 
You had something, Terry? Yeah, well, I was going to ask. On something like this that's kind of out there in the open for months beforehand, you've got a lot of buildup to this flight. Did you feel any sort of pressure to fly and maybe <laughs> conditions that weren't favorable? Or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I was, I was sponsored by Hobby King, uh, to build the Bugatti. They, they provided me with, uh, all the electronics, um, and a bunch of other hardware, the battery. And, and, you know, I, I felt like I had this obligation to deliver this airplane, but at the same time, so many people got behind the project and they were so excited to see it, especially after we, we were unfortunate to lose Scotty Wilson last year, um, from the, Bugatti 100P project team. Yeah. Um, it was really unfortunate, and I and I just really wanted to to deliver for him as well as the community that had that had supported me through the build. And I I had brought the airplane to Flight Fest, and and they shut down the whole flight line for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, no pressure there. Yeah, no pressure there, and you know the. I don't know if you heard any of the reports, but I mean, it was just such a mud fest. It was horrible. Uh, they they had rain like for several hours, and it's old farmland. And they had just put out the uh, the the fabric or textile runway, and they hadn't rolled it or anything, so it was still pretty wavy and bumpy. But I found the marginally flat spot. And I thought, oh, it'll take off okay from there. Uh, and then I just thought, you know, the takeoff is okay. I, I, if I can find a safe takeoff, I'll, I'll be all right because I know I'll be able to keep it safely away from the crowd. The landing, if I want to keep the airplane, I have to, I, I have to be willing to rebuild it. If I lose the airplane, I have to be willing to part with the airplane. And in the end, I, I decided, you know, I, br- I brought this airplane to share with people and you really can't share it any, in any better way than seeing it in the air. So yeah, it seems like with that kind of thing, it's really not your airplane anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really wasn't. It, it, it was, it was such an honor to, to have people come up to me and congratulate me. Cause I'm like, it's really everybody else's airplane too. Cause they were behind me from the start. They, they thought I could do it and they, they cheered me on. You know, we all, we all get into our ruts as builders as we go through a project and, and they were there to build me up and, and it was great. Well, Joshua, the, the results are absolutely fantastic. I'm looking at a picture of it, and it's it, it's it looks like it's ready for scale masters. It's lots of detail. Oh no! Oh, it no, looks no, great. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Uh, you you flatter, you you uh, underestimate yourself. It's really a nice mod. I encourage everybody to take a look at it because it is absolutely fantastic. It looks like you took the real one and just shrunk it down. I, I tried. <laughs> uh, yeah, there 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 are lots of scale things that that are wrong with it. Um, but, but probably only you notice. Yeah. Well, you know, I have, I have, I don't have split flaps. Um, oh, I, I mean, yeah. I go on and on and on uh, about the things that are missing <laughs> from the model. It only has but, 532 um, rivets. The real one has 533 rivets. So. <laughs> well, it was funny because I, I actually was going through it and counting, um, um, the lag bolts on for the battery hatch. So I, a friend of mine had got me in contact with a with the fellow who's the local expert at the EAA museum on the, on the Bugatti. And I said, you know, there's those, those elongated holes at the top. What are those for? He said, Oh, 
So the whole airplane is basically made entirely out of wood. And that is the hatch for the engines. And the hatch is held on with wooden lag bolts. <laughs> wooden bolts? Yeah, they're wooden lag bolts. So there's these hex head lag bolts that hold the the cowl over to uh, that's you know the back spine of, of the of the fuselage. So I went through and I counted how many there were. I said, okay, I can evenly space that. That's not a problem. And then I was like, okay, so how do I do? How do I do lag bolts? And I was like, okay, well, if I 3D print a lag bolt with a head diameter of 1.2 millimeters, how will that look? So I ended up printing 66 of them and they're installed in the airplane. You have an illness and you need help. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've been told. Your model is anonymous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I have to ask, uh, what's next on your plate? What do you have uh, eyeball on? Oh, well, I'm currently building a CUDA um, from Lane's Planes, uh, just as a fun balsa refresher. Uh, I've, I've wanted to go back to my balsa roots. It's been a couple of years. Um, I'm not entirely sure what my next big project is. Um, uh, a friend of mine in Northern Virginia, he only lives about an hour from me. He and I may do a, a, a project together. I don't know that I'm will, willing to reveal what it is, but he, he's built, uh, Keith's P40. Oh, okay. Yeah. The big quarter scale foam. Yeah, the big quarter scale foam uh, P40. He hasn't been able to fly it yet. I've been rooting him on for years now. Um, is he as OCD as you? He is. <laughs> okay, good. Because you have to have somebody that looks at projects the same way, or you'll just rip each other's throats out. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's been he's been working on the Wild Plains uh, T38, and and he and I are both looking at each other, going. These big projects. I don't know if I can do these big solo projects anymore. It's just like, hey, dude, let's get together and do something fun. That way there's like no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it works out that way. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got a I've got a top flight uh, Corsair 60 kit and I've got a top flight uh, P51 60 kit. Uh, There's lots of balsa planes all over the all over the net. and lots of laser cut kits. So, you know, you, you take one of these kits and you put it together with a friend and you make some memories and you put some scale details on it and you have a ball. And if it crashes, you get to rebuild it. Yeah, that's the spirit. That's what it's all about. Yeah, man. So when's the next flight of the Bugatti? Uh, well, I do have a little bit of repair because the field was so awful at Flight Fest. Um, the landing gear spars uh, uh, did a little bit of damage on the top part of the one of the wings so i need to reset with gorilla glue and do a little patch job with some fiberglass and paint and clear coat and change out a prop so sometime soon (laughs) it's really not much work you're probably talking about uh maybe two or three hours worth of work to finish everything up to fix it it's not bad we'll get after it yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I got a job, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about your build thread being on the flight test uh, forums. So where can people find videos and other information about this? 
Yeah. Um, so I've posted some stuff over the, over the last several while uh, about it on the Flight Test Fans Facebook page, but uh, my videos, uh, I've got my own YouTube channel. I am not an expert in video. Do not expect great things from me in the video department. Uh, but Joshua Orchard on YouTube and and um, uh, my my username on RC groups and on the flight test forums is Wilson Man with two L's. Um, yeah, that's uh, WilsonMan at gmail.com if you want to ask me direct questions about it. I mean, I'm pretty open book. I, I try to put everything out there. I try to be as helpful as I can. I just uh, want to share building with people because I love building more than flying. And it, and this thing is fast. Well, that's the point, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did I did film with Flight Test uh, when I was at Flight Fest, and they haven't come up with a video yet, but uh, I'm hoping that they will fairly soon. But whatever. And no doubt they'll do a good job of production and making it pretty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they they do such great work, and they put on such a gracious event and and john and diana fury are just some of the nicest people ever i can't believe they let us tear up their property every year i know i mean um, i like people but i don't know if i want a thousand people camping out in my backyard oh uh, i mean it's it's insane man well, this year we had everybody and their brother getting stuck in the mud uh, i've got a picture of me with the mud coming up to my knees from some of the equipment that was setting up the big tents uh, oh man it was if we had a forklift, or no, no, it was a it was a caterpillar front end loader, got completely stuck in the mud, oh, completely wow. stuck in the mud. That's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> that's how so, muddy it was. <laughs> but I picture it like Woodstock, where you know, after a day or so, you just embrace the mud as part of the experience. And <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, it was like the 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 rubber boots I had on had just assimilated into my leg. <laughs> So you're saying there's a bunch of middle-aged men running around without their shirts on? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, for, Not exactly for, like what's done. Fortunately, there are quite a few um, uh, wives to control some of that, <laughs> as well as small children. <laughs> there, it's it's a very 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 family-friendly event, and that's part of part of why I love it. Yeah, it, it's in my my gotta do book for next year. It's it's a special event. I mean, I've been to Warbirds over Delaware. I've been to other local clubs uh, and their flying events, and it's it's special. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, just look at the numbers, and you know that it's it's not your ordinary RC event. Yeah, no. I had no idea it was that big until I saw, I saw a picture. I was like, oh my god! Yeah, it's yeah, only it's, the fourth yeah. year, right? Is it yeah, the third only, or fourth year? Yeah, this was just the fourth year. Okay, so in four years, they've grown to, what, over a 1,000 registered people and a West Coast version. Yeah, we had so. we had over 1,200 registered pilots this year. Sounds insane. How, how does that it, not like a mass confusion or just anarchy? It is. <laughs> and that's part – I'm not, I'm not kidding. That's part of what makes it special is that the flight line – feels like chaos and and they they always say bring the people you love 
and the airplanes you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not joking. <laughs> um, because, I mean, you will crash. I, w- I was one of the few. I brought home every single airplane that I brought, and they all came home in one piece. All right. So, and I brought four airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was an exception, not the norm, huh? Yeah, yeah it, it really is. Um, it, it's like you, you just bring these foam air- airplanes and you really don't care if you crash them because you've got my 40 foot tents filled with foam and glue and tables and you rebuild it and you make new friends while you're rebuilding it. And then you take it out to the flight line and crash it again and you go back and you make even more friends. So it's, (laughs) there's probably no such thing as a walk of shame there. No, no, there really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you, you, you run out there and pray you don't die. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the walk of shame is if you bring your plane back in one piece. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are trying hard enough. Yeah, you are trying. <laughs> I mean, you, you have combats there that it's some of the most brutal hits, and everybody's going, yeah! <laughs> uh, I saw the, the full contact combat at Ceph one year, and it was at least 60 airplanes, and it was just crazy foam just raining out of yeah. the sky in these big clouds. Yeah, this is at least 60 to 100 airplanes just wow. in this cloud of gnats. And, <laughs> you know, everything from the FT nutball to uh, someone had an ugly stick. Uh, oh, you, I, there was a guy who flew a bird of time in the combat. <laughs> I mean – <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I can't make this stuff up. It's just, it's, it's nuts. Um, but it's ser- seriously, you'll, you'll have to come out because it is, it is a very, very different event from any other RC event you'll ever go to. Guarantee it. All right. Well, it's on my bucket list. On my bucket list. Right on. Well, Joshua, I, uh, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, wish you the best of luck in, uh, in your future projects. And man, keep us surprised of what you're working on, because we really look forward to your next uh, adventure. And uh, well, yeah. thanks, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, it was a fantastic project, and we certainly look forward to whatever else you could dream up. And uh, <laughs> don't be a stranger. Oh, I, I'll try not to. <laughs> thanks for having me on, though. Oh uh, no, thank you. Any thoughts, uh, Terry? But no, I just wanted to say thanks for sharing the info about this project. And I wanted to throw in that your Thunder and Lightning is probably the best looking one I've ever seen. Oh. And again, you I put love- your spin on it. It's not an, <laughs> an per the plans Thunder and Lightning. No, I, I loved building that plan. That was one of those, uh, uh, that was dollar store foam board with the paper peeled off. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That was, that was a really fun project. Yeah, I'm sure Lee appreciates that too. <laughs> I, I, he, he made a comment on my YouTube video that he that he approved it. So, so uh, <laughs> well, that's a pretty good endorsement then. <laughs> it's been Lee approved. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Fitz, now that you are back, but Lee is gone, I have a couple things to bring up in Lee's absence, because I I don't want to talk about him while he's here. 
Um, the first is I, I have a confession to make that Lee may have a point about his choice in Velcro. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I must have misheard you. Could you repeat yeah, that? Yeah, I know. Well, I'm not going to say it again. You say Lee was wrong? No, no, he was right. No. I was wrong. Oh, you mean Lee was wrong? No. <laughs> Lee was right. Right I'm, about what? Well, okay, let me try this again. I can see where Lee has a point about how he does Velcro because of a recent experience. So we talked a couple of times about my Alpha tr Patrol boat. And I did it per my norm where I have the, the hook side on the batteries and the squishy uh, loop side in the vehicle, which in this case is the bottom of the hole on this patrol boat. Well, for whatever reason, that boat takes on a little bit of water and that uh, loop side of the Velcro is like a sponge. So it just holds a tremendous amount of water that is tough to get out of there. So in this one itty bitty circumstance, I can see where... It would have been better off to have my Velcro the other way. Yeah, well, that's boats. They don't count. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I guess you have a good point at that, how water would would sort of stay in the the loop material and the fuzzy stuff. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure I've run into it before with my other boats, but I think all the other ones have a larger hatch, so when you remove the hatch, that's exposed to the sun and it dries out pretty quickly. Yeah. But the way this one is, it's got a couple different compartmentalized hatches, and you can't really give any direct sunlight to the the Velcro. And so, I'm just willing to give credit where it's due. Yeah, we'll give it to him for boats. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're being stingy. <laughs> it, it still held, right? The Velcro still held on. Oh the, yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't a case of the Velcro getting weak. I had a strap on there anyway. It's just a matter of, you know, at the end of the day, when you're done, you want to dry everything out before you put it back on the shelf. Well, it's a much different ordeal to dry out Velcro inside mm -hmm. the hole. So I have to leave it sitting outside for a few hours usually. Okay, I'll agree. Lee is right in his one case. <laughs> okay, well, I have another example, so I'll see if you come around. Um, also, with the patrol boat, he's been needling me, ever since I started talking about it, to put sound in there. And I kept telling him, no, 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 not going to do it. Well, when I was working on it last week to put the servo for the turret in, I was trying to find my bag of servo extensions and Y connectors. And looking for that, I ran across my sound system and a little lee-shaped birdie on my shoulder was whispering in my ear do it do it you gotta do it <laughs> and so i did my patrol boat now has a sound system all right and it's pretty cool i'm glad i did it what, what, so. what kind of sounds does it make um it's funny i think they make some boat sounds but i don't know um the stuff that i had is the stock chip, which is a smattering of airplane engines. I also had the World War II chip of engine sounds. And the BMW radial, I thought, sounded the most like what I would imagine a patrol boat to sound like. Mm. So that's what I'm using. Oh, neat. Yeah. Is it uh, loud enough to hear? Um, it is. If you're at half throttle or below, it's pretty good. Above that, the noise of the twin water jets mm. is louder than the the engine sounds well you might consider as getting a sound transducer 
which basically physically attaches to the the hull and uses the whole hull as a sound uh, speaker kind of thing. That's what I'm using. My oh. system has oh, actually does. I have I have two transducers, but I only had enough room to put one uh. on here. But when you're close to it, it's plenty loud. Mm. It's you know out on the water. When you get the motors revving, it it gets drowned out. But close and just putting around, it's surprisingly loud. Yeah. And I've got the machine guns on a little thumb switch, too. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. So. laughs> the sailboat guys don't appreciate it very much. <laughs> they don't like getting machine gun? Well, I think they just they go to the lake for a nice, quiet, relaxing day, and then I come out there with my twin jet engine revving patrol boat and... Yeah. <laughs> you got to put it in so it, it blasts 60s music too as you <laughs> little ccr yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so anyway just uh kudos to lee even in his absence he makes his presence felt man what a powerful guy <laughs> uh so i understand you went to a fly-in a, a really interesting fly-in recently um yes this was my first exposure to free flight models other than the the dime store stuff i had as a kid this was the flying aces free flight non-nats they have a national event Mm. which is every other year but they have an event every year so alternating years are nats and non-nats i don't know what the differences are for them but for me i went to this uh, place the national warplane museum which is about an hour away in geneseo new york and it's a it's an airport, so a nice big open flying area. And I watched a bunch of guys fly rubber band powered airplanes. It was just rubber band powered stuff. Um, I think it's broader than that. The event lasts for a week. I was just there for about three hours on a Friday, so I think I saw a pretty small sliver of what they do there. <clears throat> um, the stuff that I saw was rubber band powered. They also had, uh, I guess, high start launched gliders. And catapult launch jets. Free flight jets? Yeah, yes. Oh, that's interesting. So, and in all cases, and anybody in Flying Aces, please forgive me if I say something inaccurate here, because basically it's what I observed that almost everything they do is based on flight time. So you launch your rubber band model and you see how long it flies. You launch your catapult jet and you see how long it flies. Mm. Um, which, you know, if you think about it, is really a challenge because once it's in the air, it's up to how well you built it and the the weather gods. Weather gods and your trim settings and, and all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and you know, some airplanes are very consistent. Some were uh, not so consistent. <laughs> it's funny. I They have the high start launch gliders, which is a lot like the high start you and I use. It's a, a long rubber band with some string on the end, yeah. and you pull it back, let it go, and it does this high arcing launch. And the first thing I thought when I saw this was, wow, because I know when I do that, I'm really working the rudder to keep this thing going straight up on the launch. But these things, man, you let it go, and and they're off. Huh. Anybody lose any of their planes? I didn't see any get lost. Um, almost everybody has some sort of retrieval method, whether it's a moped or a golf cart or something like uh, that. Some sort of mechanized and, retrieval system yeah so they they gotta go and chase it down afterwards (laughs) and that's how you know it's a good flight if you have to go chase it down yeah wow so yeah it was really interesting to see and i think 
everything I saw was balsa. There was really no foam there. So I don't know if that's a sacrilege in those circles, but a lot of really great craftsmanship. Um, just some neat stuff to see. Did it get you in the, the itch to build a free flight model? Um, maybe. I'm not sure. I really appreciate for what it is and I can, you know, appreciate all the hard work that goes into it and it was fun to watch. I'm not so sure that I'm willing to put in the time that these guys obviously put in to make such precise flying models. Mm. Um, and, and you talk to these guys and they have a bad flight, like, oh, I, well, I need to change this thrust line by a 64th of an inch. Like, what? <laughs> 64th. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's its its own art to it, I can imagine. Yeah. And it's funny, the same people that would talk about those precise changes say, oh, a blade of grass, that's about right. So they'd literally pluck a blade of grass out of the, the ground and stick it behind the firewall. And, oh, there we go. Um, so, <laughs> wow. yeah, it's kind of a black art, I think. And it's interesting to watch. Every once in a while, I, I get the kind of the, the feeling I might want to build one. Because I used to do it a lot when I was a kid. Back when I was young and you know couldn't nearly afford anything RC, I would build those Gillows and Comet. Uh, free flight rubber band powered planes and mine flew awful because i didn't know what i was doing but i had a lot of fun building them and i built quite a few of them actually right. and it'd be nice to maybe build one uh, i actually have a couple that i was going to make rc but i might, might actually make one rubber band um some better ones i forgot what they were called they were like die printed not even die cut they were just printed yeah. wood you got to cut them out yeah with like eighth inch wide lines that yeah <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of work, but I thought it might be fun just to do. Not that I know half of what to do right instead of none of what to do right. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be interesting to get those guys and, and bend their ear to see what kind of innovations have come along in, in yeah. that field of RC. Because just looking at the planes themselves, they're mm-hmm. still balsa covered in tissue, and, and yeah. I don't know if they use dope or something else. But yeah. certainly there's been things that have changed along with technology. One thing they didn't have when I was a kid, at least, that I knew it was an electric winder with a counter on it. Yeah, these guys were all using hand winders. All the ones I saw were hand winders, but yeah, they had uh, counters. So they know yeah. precisely how many turns are on that rubber band. Yeah. And these are, you know, if the airplane is a foot long, that rubber band is five feet long when they start. Oh, winding. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing to see them wind that thing out and the, they're standing four or five feet away from the plane and start winding the thing up. <laughs> yeah. And apparently there's really precise techniques on the correct way to wind it. You want to stretch it at certain times and relax it at others. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So like I said, it really seems to be a black art. And it is. It's, it's just interesting to watch those guys who have done it for a long time and it's second nature to them. Just kind of watch how they go through their methods and, and prepare for a flight. Yeah, it can be it's, real eye-opening. Even if you're not really interested in it, it's worth going to watch just at least once in your modeling career. Yeah, and I'm convinced that if I did somehow do any free flight modeling, it would make me a better RC modeler. Oh, yeah. Definitely a better builder. Yeah, I think my airplanes would fly better off the board, which would make them better, easier to fly, and all that. That's my theory, anyway. Hey, just as good as any theory I can think of. Yeah. So I'm planning to go back next year and hopefully see some different stuff. When I was there, they, like I said, they did the, the high start gliders, the catapult jets, and the rubber band planes that day were all 
racers, like uh, I guess Thompson Trophy, 30-0 racers. And they did mass launches, which is neat to see 20 or more of them get launched at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to tell who wins. Yeah, it's the last one down, right? Yeah. And these guys were staying up for three minutes, the winner was. Wow. So, yeah, that's a long time. And at the end, maybe 200 yards away. Wow. So, yeah, it's just really neat to, to... see how they do that and it was consistent it wasn't like he had one awesome flight that lasted that long the the winners were consistent every time and i didn't see any midairs which was also amazing <laughs> they probably just bounce off each other anyways yeah right there's no mass there so yeah so fitz you you gave us a few teaser photos while you were prancing around europe so what's the scoop what did you see? What was your favorite part? Well, tell me everything. <laughs> Including the two Germans yelling at each other when I got there? Oh, no. you. Well, I, that's the part I really got to know. You said you got yelled at in I don't know how many different languages. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> were you the ugly American? No, it was pretty innocent stuff that I got yelled at for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um it's one of those things that I didn't realize, you know, if I was being obnoxious or not until somebody actually started yelling at me. Uh, it was, uh, the first time was we were going off to uh, visit the, something called the Neuschwanstein Castle. Uh, which is, oh, yeah. Uh, I've heard? seen pictures of it. Oh, it's, that's the one that's kind of out in the water? Uh, it's near some water, but it's really up in a mountain. Oh, okay. I had my castles confused. Yeah. Uh, this is the one that was inspiration for the Disney logo. The Disney Castle at okay. Disneyland, and I think a couple of movies been filmed there. It was the last. It was the castle, the last castle built by the last king of Bavaria, in which he basically bankrupted uh, Bavaria, building it. And then he suddenly died of mysterious causes, <laughs> 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 and several knives in the back. Yeah, <laughs> but mostly mysterious causes. Um, a mysterious steel overdose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> lead poisoning. Um, so anyways, uh, so on the way back, this is kind of out in the country. It's right near the Austrian border. And we were driving back. Actually, on the way there, I saw this building, and it looked like it had a bunch of auto gyros in it. And, of course, that immediately caught my attention. So on the way back, we actually stopped and pulled in because I wanted to see what, you know, what was this place? Out in the middle of nowhere, this big building with lots of glass windows and airplanes inside. Full-scale airplanes. Full-scale airplanes. And, and right in it, I was like, Hello. So it didn't really have any signs. Uh, so we walked up. This was on a Sunday. So it looked like it was closed. Nobody was in there or anything. So I was kind of walking. I was taking some pictures. Well, this might be kind of neat for the guys back home. And as I look inside, there was actually somebody in there. And he was, some guy was doing some sort of weight and balance on some really interesting looking glider. It looked like a really fancy hang glider. And so I started taking some pictures and a couple of video clips. And then he suddenly notices me. And just yells at me to go away. <laughs> like, go! <laughs> like, Oops, okay, oh, okay, well, I'm out of here. I don't want to start an international incident. So I don't know if I caught him doing something secret or I was just, he just thought I was some annoying foreigner or something, but uh, I thought it was kind of funny that <laughs> he, he yelled at me for that. But it was some neat stuff in there, auto gyros and gliders. And apparently it's some sort of aircraft supply company or something, but, uh, it was way out in the middle of the country. Uh, so that was there. Well, I got, that sounds innocent enough. 
Yeah, it was. I was just taking a picture. I wasn't being obnoxious, but he didn't like Tell that. him to pull the blinds next time. This place had huge windows. If it was that secret, you were in the worst <laughs> place ever. It's like being in a, yeah. be like in a, those uh, Apple stores that are all glass and then all yelling right. at somebody because they're looking in the window looking at the computers. Yeah, it's a fishbowl. <laughs> yeah, he was almost a, literally a fishbowl. But anyways, uh, I guess he just didn't like me taking pictures. Uh, <laughs> I did get yelled at by a French garbage man because I was taking a picture of his garbage truck. <laughs> All right, uh, a couple of questions. Uh, what was so fascinating about his garbage truck? It was a French garbage truck. It or was different. Le garbage? Le garbage. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm weird like that. I like taking pictures of odd machinery, especially in another country. Was it like a Citroën or something? I think it, I don't know. I don't remember. I just thought that was just interesting now to see how their garbage truck worked. It's different than ours, I guess. Uh, okay. It doesn't look like a U.S. garbage yeah, truck? It kind of does. I mean, it's obvious it's a garbage truck. I just thought it was just, just mainly for maybe post, because I was sitting on a, a tour bus on the top, so I was looking down, hey, a garbage truck. Let me take a picture of it, and I can analyze it later. And the garbage, garbage man saw me and yelled at me not to do that. <laughs> like he's going to do anything, but... Anyways. No photos le pew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I kind of got yelled at twice, although it was much milder in, in, in London. Uh, I was at a toy store taking some video, and one of the employees didn't like that and told me not to take videos. And at one time I was standing on the wrong side of the escalator. Were you in the bathroom or something? What? When taking you were shooting video? No, right out the open. They, I was in the, um, the big toy store, the big seven-story Hamleys. Oh, right. And you go in this place, and it's a neat place, actually. And it was all, the employees, some of them were dressed up in costume, and some were giving all these kind of product demonstrations. So you walk in, some guy's throwing his little airplane around, or he's playing with some little widget or something, trying to get you to buy it and advertise it. But obviously, they've done it a lot because they're real skilled at using these things. And I thought, well, this is kind of a neat demo. Let me video, video it as he's doing his demo. And another employee just, just kind of did not, was not amused that I was taking video of it, and he told me not to take video. In a, in a unmistakably annoyed way. In a stern, authoritative voice? In a stern, authoritative British voice. <laughs> no videos. So well, wow. I took a bunch of stills. Uh, so apparently you can't be trusted with a camera. Apparently not. It's all fascinating, but no, they didn't like that. So whatever. Uh, but that, well, those that, were all much more innocent than I ever imagined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best one, what I referenced when I got there was we were waiting on a bus from the aircraft, and we've been waiting for a while. And one German passenger got kind of irate at the length of time we were waiting. So he started um, arguing with the airport employee. And those two went at it for a good 30 seconds or so. All in German, but I had a guy give me a rough translation. <laughs> they were just <laughs> ripping each other a new one. It was funny. They were going back and forth. And the guy next to me says, yeah, they're Germans. They do that to each other. Hmm. It's not personal. <laughs> it's not personal. It's, yeah, it's business. They, they don't take any crap from each other. So, all right. So, um, airplanes. Tell me about airplanes. Oh man, I saw lots of good stuff. Uh, we were out rolling on Germany, especially when I was. Uh, I talked about that autogyro factory. We were actually out there. I saw this A and two flying around, and then uh, I took some pictures of it. I said, "Wow, this is interesting," and I kept seeing it. And I thought, "Wonder what's going on." And, uh, and then I saw it again. We were in the city, a much closer shot of it. And I had never seen one that I can recall. 
And so to see one flying around was kind of neat. And apparently it's part of a sightseeing tour charter that you can go on. Because I found a brochure later on. I don't remember the price, but uh, you can get on this thing and just fly around that part of Germany and around the castle and stuff and go on a sightseeing tour. And I thought, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Being, a, being an old AN2 biplane, putt-putting around, looking down. Right. For those that don't know, the Antonov AN2, is it the largest biplane ever built? No, I don't think it's the largest. There's maybe the largest single-engine biplane. Yeah, so. maybe the largest single-engine. Yeah, it has some sort of credential like that, but yeah. it's a big airplane. It's a big plane. It doesn't fly very fast, but I think it has a stall yeah. speed of backwards. Uh, it, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> VMAX of not much. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw one at an air show once, and they did a minimum speed and a, a maximum speed pass, and it didn't look much different. <laughs> yeah. 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 So from really what I understand, when the Soviet Union did its thing and collapsed, you could buy those pretty cheaply, and yeah. so people were trying to import them into the U.S., but the FAA um, classified them as experimental. So all those people who wanted to use them as skydive ships and sightseeing, things like that, they couldn't do it. Oh. oh so I yeah, think otherwise, you'd see a lot more of them here. Yeah. I, I knew I used to work with a guy who was a pilot. He, he had talked about trying wanting to get one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, apparently you could buy them for a song. Just yeah. You couldn't use them for any sort of money-making venture, and uh -oh. so that kind of killed the market in the U.S. I didn't know that. And as a, a huge fabric-covered airplane, you know, I think they're a little bit expensive to keep. But well, the good thing is there's a lot of them. They, they apparently made a lot of these things. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think it's one of the most produced planes uh, after World War II. Oh, wow. Yeah, if you look it up. It, it, it's, uh, so you probably can get a lot of parts and stuff for them. Not too problem. But anyways, so uh, real quick, we, we there's a place called the Deutsche Museum in where I was in Munich. Uh, which has a very nice, basically, uh, science museum for the most part, science, technology, machines. And in the midst of all the neat machines and boats and stuff they had in there is a sizable collection of really old aircraft. I'm not sure if they're replicas or what, but some really old, like pre-World War One stuff. And the um, pictures, they looked like they were in really good condition. So yeah, I assume they were replicas, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't remember. I don't think they said in the placards. Uh, there was a couple of World War One. There was a lots of pre World War One. A Taub. There was a replica of the Wright Flyer there, of all things. Huh. Uh, and uh, also, they the pedal powered one of the pedal powered planes was there. I don't remember which one it was, but uh, pedal power. Pedal power. Yeah. Unsuccessful. It might have been one of the unsuccessful ones. It wasn't that big. It was smaller than the one I think that went across the channel. Uh, I believe. Oh, so uh, more recently. Like, yeah, this was a more recent one. Yeah, this was okay. So was that the Gossamer Condor or something? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know if this yeah. was. I don't think this was the Condor, but along those lines, had a pusher prop. And you can see the little skinny cockpit for the guy to sit in. Uh, they had a really neat cutaway of a World War One aircraft. I forgot which one it was, but half the side was missing, so you can see the innards and the structures and the cables and stuff. I thought was really neat. I'd never yeah. seen anything like that. Uh, yeah. Off the next stuff I saw was in. Um, London. The, we went. I went to two places. I had planned on going to a big air show, big World War II air show, but because we decided to go to Paris earlier, uh, I, I threw off my plans. But I ended up going to a smaller air show, which was probably just as good for a different reason. And you keep was, telling yourself that. Yeah, I thought that myself that. <laughs> this was a place called the Shuttleworth Collection. 
It's up and out in a little country town called Bigglesworth. Uh, and uh, it wasn't too far from where I was staying, so it was a nice little train ride up and a bus ride. And it was, I tell people, it was like uh, old Rhinebeck on steroids. This was a, a small airfield grass runway. I think it had a, a crosswind runway. A bunch of hangars, lots and lots of World War One, pre-World War One, uh, both real and replicas. Uh, some World War Two stuff, World War Two era. Uh, I think all, almost all of it was or had had one point been in flyable condition. Uh, so they were even when I was leaving, they were rolling all kinds of weird stuff out of the hangar, but I couldn't stick around because I was taking the last bus back. Ah. Uh. Yeah, which sucked because they pulled some of the like pre World War One stuff out because the wind it had calmed down, and uh, uh, they were flying it around. In fact, I took a few pictures from the bus as I was we were leaving. <laughs> oh my God, they flew this clawing your way through the windows. Yeah, because it was like a really <laughs> wipe the drool off the windows. Yes, so. this they had some neat stuff, and they they really got into it because they had pulled out all kinds of old cars and motorcycles, and and oh, uh, I have a and you saw in a video this old bus that was like from 1900 years ago, 1910 or something. <laughs> the thing had like solid rubber tires on it, and it, uh, it was stuff. probably another bus the next morning. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to stay that long. Camp out in the hangars. <laughs> it was funny. They had this double-decker bus that was just, you know, 100 years old. And they're like, if you weigh more than this, don't go on top because... Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it'll fall over. Uh, Do you know your weight in kilos? Yeah, exactly. Kilos are stones. I never understood. <laughs> yeah, I'm three stone. What? Huh? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, really neat stuff. It was, uh, you saw that they had a Westland Lysander there. Nice. Man, that was that was nice to see that thing fly around, and it sounded awesome. They had a um, a, a Bristol Blenheim flying around. Oh was, wow! I didn't yeah. know there were any of those airworthy. Airworthy. They, they had one, and it flew around, and it sounded awesome. Cool. Uh, you saw that they, they had the three Hawker Hurricanes that flew around in formation. Um, Is they, that rare over there? I think that's pretty rare. The guy said the announcer seemed to indicate that it was very rare to see that three of them flying around. But then I saw some pictures later that they had another three or four flying around at another air show the next weekend. So maybe there was the same three that showed up and just It would have to be, right? Yeah. Gosh. Just not hurricanes. It can't be that many hurricanes flying around. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and it, it was really neat to see that. But it's also they had actually a B-17 and a P-51 there. And the nice thing about that field is you're really close to the flight line and to the runway. And so this guy was yanking and banking his B-17 like I've never seen before. Really? He's doing passes. Yeah, it was probably the most interesting B-17 uh, aer- aerobatic display I've ever seen at an air show. It was a real treat to see that. Uh, and they had a smattering of all kinds of stuff. Uh, I think a Demon biplane, uh, uh, FP-2C and FB, FBC? Uh, um, Marine Solner. It was a marine bullet, I guess they call it. Uh, so, so some some old gliders, all kinds of stuff. Just all kinds of goofy stuff that you don't see anywhere. Did they fly the gliders? Yeah, they, they flew a couple different gliders. The Aerotow or Winch? Yeah, they aerotowed them with some old cubs. Wow. <laughs> and <laughs> in military uh, markings. One yeah. was a really old glider. It was all open. Not even not open cockpit. It was just open. Yeah. <laughs> the guy was a... Uh, was you know there in goggles and, and stuff and flying this thing around. Um, they had a glide ratio of like nothing. It, <laughs> it released it. And it was down really quick. Uh, and, and some really odd planes. And you look in the hangars, they had a, all kinds of odd stuff. You saw the uh, uh, the uh, the twin engine racer, the 
Uh, oh, the Comet? Yeah. DH-88? Yeah, the Diablo Comet. They had the plane that you're a big fan of, the one you saw in uh, Scotland, the twin-engine... Um, uh, the Rapide? The yes, Dragon Rapide? They had a Dragon Rapide, which actually looked yeah. pretty nice. That wasn't that bad. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an acquired taste. Uh, Yeah. Uh, they had all kinds of weird planes in the hangars I'd never seen before, some home-builts. They had a, a flying flea hanging up in the ceiling. Cool. Uh, Cuda cell, Cuda, something like that. Yeah. You saw yeah. the pictures of the Clipwing Mustang, which I, I don't think I've ever seen the Clipwing version. That looked like it was flyable, but under but had some work being done on it. Wait, uh, you have to remind me what that is? It's a Mustang that had squared off wingtips. Were they just Not a Mustang. chopped off? I'm or? sorry. Spitfire. I said Mustang. <laughs> ah, it was okay. a Clipwing Spitfire. Sorry. Okay. So uh, one of the later models. Uh, yeah, I think they're for low-altitude work. Uh, okay. But still, you, know, you don't see clip-wing Spitfires very often or yeah. at all. Uh, so a lot of good goodies. And uh, so, oh, I had an interesting conversation. There was a, some guys selling uh, paraphernalia clothes, hats, and stuff to support the restoration of a uh, the big uh, Lancaster, a Lancaster bomber. So they were supporting the restoration of a Lancaster bomber. Apparently, there's only one flying, and that's a Canadian one. And so they have a okay. British British one that they want to uh, restore. And so they're selling stuff for a fundraiser. And I started talking to the gentleman, a real nice guy, and I mentioned that uh, I was really excited to see the Lysander since I had an RC model of one. And the guy goes, well, my, my father flew Lysanders in the war, and he was one of the – he was a pilot that had the first successful extraction of special forces – uh, and out of enemy territory in a Lysander. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a, you know, the people you meet is a, it's really surprising. Uh, wow. Uh, and back in London, I went to the Royal Air Force Museum, which is, which is, which A is awesome, B free, which makes it even more awesome. Uh, again, a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, it's not obvious, but there's actually three different buildings, actually a fourth, but it's under construction of, of stuff. So we went through and I said, well, this is pretty nice. Uh, and I guess that's it. And we left and I was leaving and I said, wait a minute, there's some more stuff. I went another hangar and I started talking to a guy and said, is it just these two hangars? He says, no, there's another one. Go down the, go down the road a little bit and turn left and there's another hangar. <laughs> you didn't have a bus to catch that day, did you? No, no. It was all within easy walking distance. It just wasn't obvious because they're doing construction. Some some spots are closed off. The signage was kind of marginal. Uh, so they had basically one big area for a lot of the airplanes, basically British and some German stuff and some American stuff. And then they had another hangar with some more modern stuff and more British stuff. And another hangar with World War One stuff. And a couple of things caught really caught my attention. I was seeing a Lancaster bomber in there was really nice. They had a Avro um, Arrow, not Arrow. Um, the the big flying wing Delta wing thing that you saw Vulcan. Vulcan. They had a big Vulcan in there. Man, I think it's big. Can you go inside that one? You could go. No, but you could. Oh, the Bombay was open, so you can kind of stick your head up in the Bombay. And they had a television in the Bombay playing stuff about the the, the Arrow. Uh, Vulcan, Vulcan, excuse me, uh, which was kind of neat. You could sit there and look around the Bombay and gear. It's really hard to take a picture of that thing because it was inside. It was just huge. Um, so neat, neat British planes. Bristol Pew uh, Fighter was in there. Um, I saw a couple of German planes that I was really surprised to see. They had a two-seater FW-190 in there. Okay. A trainer, I presume? I guess a trainer version or a night fighter version. I'm not quite sure. 
they also had bits and pieces of a, a ME-110. They had okay. pieces of a Stuka dive bomber. It was kind of disassembled. In the back corner, they had a Heinkel HE-111. Oh, really? Yeah. That was very rare. It was kind of hidden in the back. I think they're doing some restoration work on it. So I was trying to uh-huh. climb over stuff to try to take some pictures of it. I was like, wow. Um, there used to be one of those in the States that was airworthy. Really? But it, yeah, it crashed a few years back. Oh, man. I think it was uh, a Spanish one, but you know, still the same airplane. Maybe it had English engines in it. Yeah, it I don't know. I'm making stuff up, but I'll have to go back and, and check. But uh, it was a really nice museum. No flashing lights like you had at yours that you were talking about. <laughs> uh, so that means you took a lot of good pictures. Right? I took a lot of pictures. Yes. Oh, good. And I'm Are just touching to share them? tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I got to go go through and grab all the greatest hits and the stuff that came out good, and uh, and and post them or get a data dump or something. I'm not quite sure where I'm going to put them. Uh, maybe on my Facebook page or uh, I don't know. I haven't decided. I'm up for ideas and suggestions. Well, I just noticed you have a new video series, your Five with Fits, and you talked a little bit about some of this stuff. Yeah, I got a, posted a short video, just a few minutes long, kind of shows a quick, some quick video clips and stuff of the different places I went, and so you can get a kind of a, a thumbnail or snapshot, more or less, of some of the stuff I saw. And uh, kind of a new series I've been kind of tinkering with, doing on and off for a little while now, so I thought this would be a good start of it and see how that goes. So, yeah, go on to my YouTube page, uh, Hobby View, and or uh, Facebook, and uh, you can see a little bit of my European tour. The only thing I missed, I really regret, I wasn't able to see, is apparently there's another big air museum right outside of Paris, where I was staying for a couple days. Yes. But I just didn't have the time to go see it. But uh, I understand it's also a really big museum, which probably has some good stuff in it as well. I'm sure. Uh, next time. We've already so, talked about going back. It's oh, well, there you up. go. Yeah. Okay. We had a really good time. So it wasn't just good, it was jolly good. It was jolly good. Except or uber for the, jolly good. It was uber jolly good except for the airlines, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you need a French part of that too. What would the French say? Uh, you had to mix all the languages. Uh, what would the French say? It was uh, man- magnifique. Yeah. <laughs> uber magnifique jolly good. Uh, uber magnifique jolly good today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to go, and I'm glad you're back. And I look forward to seeing the the pictures. All right. Well, on that note, I think we've uh, used up all our time. Probably gone overtime in this case, and then some. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to be back. Good to talk with you, Terry. I'll have to harass Lee next uh, episode. I believe next time around we will have all three of us back together, yes. and. I believe we'll also have Philip Hinkle with us to talk about oh, really? Oshkosh. Yep. Oh, nice, nice. It'll be all Oshkosh episode. I know, right? Yeah, it'll be good stuff, though. It's, yeah, I'm sure they'll have lots to talk about. Oh, yeah. As long as they don't end up killing each other. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then. Well, on that note, I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts.